Episode 9 When Molly was born in late April, a hush fell over the delivery room. The doctor was the first to say it. My God, what a beautiful child! In his gloved hands, Molly turned toward her mother. The expression on her face conveyed not confusion, as had been the case with Katie, but pure love. Molly's eyes shone, blue and clear as wisdom itself. Jackie burst into tears. All her terror, all those months, had been for nothing. Molly brought a message all right, but it was not of doom. It was peace. All would be well. Jackie reached out for her child. Molly's perfect little mouth twitched and opened. Out came a scream containing the pent-up grief of the whole world. And it did not stop. Over the ensuing weeks, nothing quieted Molly. Not milk, medicine, proffered fingers, unconditional love, lullabies. Certainly not the handmade dolls that Grandma Tessa turned out by the bucket load. Jackie did the math. Molly had come a full two weeks early to be born on the same day that the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Russia had melted down. The Book of Revelation said a star called Wormwood, Chernobyl in Russian, would poison the waters. It was now obvious, to Jackie at least, that Molly was no ordinary baby. She was some kind of prophet. "'Yo, Adrian,' Kyle called one bright Sunday morning in May from the couch. "'I was thinking about scrambled eggs for breakfast.' Jackie was so tired she could not feel her face. Molly writhed in her aching arm. Jackie finally managed to place Molly's formula in the microwave, close the door, and push start. By mutual agreement, Kyle had begun sleeping on the couch so that Molly's sobbing wouldn't keep him up. He needed all his energy for his act. When Jackie glared at him through the doorway, he grinned and pummeled an invisible speed bag above his forehead, even as he remained supine. "'If you make the scrambled eggs, Kyle, then we will have them,' Jackie said. Flummoxed, Kyle paused mid-punch. "'I was doing Rocky there, Jax. Did you get that?' "'I don't know, Kyle. To me it sounded like you, only louder.' It seemed to Jackie that his impressions had been better before the foot thing happened. Maybe he was trying too hard because he was getting worried. It had been over two months, and Letterman's producer had not yet called back. Meanwhile, Kyle had just flopped at another open mic night in Oildale. Jackie hadn't gone, but according to Katie's terse explanation, the crowd had taken a hearty dislike to his John Wayne. In her bedroom, Katie awakened and cranked up her stereo. She sang along, something about hating the Army and the RAF. Her voice was low and off-key, but oddly interesting. Still, Jackie could hardly condone the sentiments of this particular song. Katie was basically saying she hated soldiers, people like Hunter who'd broken themselves for their country. She pounded on the door and opened it. She caught Katie in mid-thrash, doubled over in her old flowered nightgown, a vestige of her pre-punk childhood. "'You might not have so much hate in you,' Jackie said as loudly as she could without shouting. "'If you came to church with me today,' The Lord helps people with that sort of thing. Katie stood, flushed, her expression poised between amusement and rage. Hate is a sickness, Katie, but if you open your heart to Jesus, he will heal it. What if I want to hate? Nobody wants to hate. You do. You hate anyone who's not as righteous as you. Grinning ferociously, Katie stretched the word righteous to its breaking point. You hate Dad, she added, with a nasty smirk. How dare you suggest that? How dare you? Between Molly and Katie's music, Jackie could not hear the reply. So you got no sense of Rocky at all? Kyle stood in the kitchen, drumming his fingers on the head of his hideous new cane. Had he always been this needy? Jackie tried to rouse herself. Katie would judge every word of her answer. Oh, you mean Rocky. I thought you meant Rambo. Rocky's different. I could get Rocky from that. Sure, why not? Thank God Jackie thought that Kyle and Katie did not go to church. At least she had an excuse to get away from them. 
Today would be Molly's first appearance at church. Jackie had wanted to take her sooner, but certain concerns had held her back. Her new friends had, of course, come to visit after Molly's birth, bearing casseroles and silly toys. They'd all held Molly and tried without success to soothe her shrieks. But Jackie had seen the way their eyes had combed her baby's face, seeking even the tiniest flaw with which they could comfort themselves. Of course, it could not be helped that Molly was far more beautiful than any child they themselves had ever produced. It was simply God's will. But Jackie had not found the right way to explain this to them, and so their envy, even now, seemed to lurk in every corner, ready to pounce. Another concern weighed more heavily. Bringing this beautiful child, born on the day of the star called Wormwood, into a holy place might prove dangerous. It would be like forcing the positive poles of two magnets together, or bringing in a bomb. Jackie had gone so far as to picture a flash of white light the moment Molly crossed the threshold of the sanctuary. Zip! Everybody gone! except, strangely, Jackie, holding out her empty arms. Still, the risk was necessary. Pastor Mike would recognize Molly's true purpose and clarify the meaning of her cries. Once the world understood her message, she thought Molly would relax. The white light never materialized, but Molly disrupted the service, no question. Her screams soared over the singing and Pastor Mike's preaching. Worshippers glanced over, opening accusing eyes mid-prayer. Jackie patted Molly's back, embarrassed but unwilling to do the polite thing and take her outside. She needed validation. Surely Pastor Mike, if no one else, would see what she saw, that Molly's grief was the world's grief, and that she was calling on everyone to... what, exactly? Well, that was her question for Mike. Jackie barely heard the sermon about UFO sightings and how those lights were lost souls trying to get into heaven in advance of the rapture. They bounced off its boundary, the equivalent of a force field. It came time for the anointing of the sick. This was Jackie's favorite moment in the service because it helped her remember her own spiritual healing not so many months ago, although those months now felt like a lifetime. First came Melba Finch, whose arthritis had flared up. Her son boosted her onto the low stage. As she crept toward Mike on her walker, the country gospel band laid down a slow, pulsing beat. Melba, you are hurting, Mike said in a sort of moan whisper, placing his palm on her bluish forehead. Melba, you are in pain, and Jesus does not want you to be in pain. The devil has hold of you, Melba. The devil has you and is hurting you. But Jesus will kick the devil out of you. Mike's voice burgeoned louder and faster, and the band's picking and strumming kept pace. Back off, devil, Mike shouted. Back off and take your arthritis pain with you. He placed his palm on Melba's forehead and gave it a shove. A little one, but a shove nonetheless, which made Jackie flinch. Melba's eyes rolled up, and she shriveled into her son's arms like a scrap of paper in a campfire. Her son laid her on the stage beside her walker, replaced the slipper that fell off her foot, and returned to the congregation. A chorus of joyful shouts rose up. Mike raised his arms to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. People danced and sang. The band was really rocking now, its red-faced members grinning through their sweat. Katie ought to like this music, Jackie thought. It was as fast and thrilling as punk. She held Molly tight as ecstatic bodies jostled her. Melba did not move, stirring a small concern in Jackie. 